the rainbow would be someone like David, the writer of many of the Psalms, especially since he was rescued out of the hand of the enemy many times. And in Psalm 34, after his deliverance from Abimelech, David writes this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it and rejoice. O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord, and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to Him and were radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried out to the Lord, and the Lord heard him and, and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him, and He rescues them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. O oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him there is no want. The young lions do lack and, and, and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of His servants, and none of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. Well, good morning. It's good to be back home. Good to be back here uh, with you. We had a great visit in Florida. I got to celebrate my mother-in-law's retirement. Uh, and all the kids and grandkids on that side of the family were able to, to be together for a few days. And many of you know that that's even hard to do if you live in the same city or the same county, much less uh, three different states. And so we were able to, to enjoy that together. Uh, let me go ahead and preface. If you're looking for slides this morning, you won't find them because uh, we were coming in in the, the, the heat of the road, um, literally uh, ripping it here. And so uh, there are no slides for today, but we'll get back to that later. So... When we left Florida, Tressa and Jackson were heading to Jamaica with my in-laws and their congregation there. And so uh, as my father-in-law serves as a shepherd at that church, and so they've been planning this trip for a while. This is Jackson's first out-of-the-country experience, and this will also be his first experience in what would be in many cases an underdeveloped, impoverished country of Jamaica. And so although they are staying in a, um, a what some of us may think of as a resort area, it's not like, you know, umbrellas and people bringing you drinks and stuff. This is a, a contained area for safety reasons. Uh, they have no air conditioning. So I laughed about that last night as I went to sleep, snuggled up in my blanket. Uh, and uh, they are working from sun up to sundown, uh, doing some mission work there. He helped create some lessons for Vacation Bible School. And so Jackson is responsible for teaching some of the uh, younger elementary age 
kids uh, this coming week as they do the vacation Bible school there. There's a medical mission aspect of it and, of course, uh, evangelistic uh, Bible studies and all. I think uh, Tress will be involved in, in uh, some of that, too, with, with the ladies. And so they'll be back uh, Tuesday week. And I look forward to hearing uh, all about his experience, and I'm sure there'll be some sort of, of a report that he'll be able to give to all of us uh, when they return. So looking forward to that. Every time we go to Florida, and I've been going there now for, hang on a second, uh, 18 years, is longer than we were married. So 18 years I've been going to, to Florida with him. Every time that we have been in Florida, Tress and I were talking about this the other day, so I'm not exaggerating. Every time we've been to Florida, someone we know dies. Seriously, we go to Florida every, every, every other year. We go twice a year and then at least once a year. And so, yeah, right. So just to ease your mind, this year is our year to be home for Christmas, all right? So it's, it's all next summer, right? Next summer. So, yeah, seriously, though, we were talking about this. And so we got a call last Sunday that one of Cooper's baseball teammates, Josh, and his family were traveling back from a baseball tournament in South Arkansas. A vehicle hydroplane skidded across the line, struck their car, sent them careening into another vehicle, uh, which struck another. So there were multiple cars involved here. Josh's dad, Greg, was killed. And so just a shocking blow to us uh, for this. Greg has been a great influencer and a coach uh, for Cooper, the last three years that we've known them, played baseball up here at Lakewood. And so uh, Josh was injured in the crash, but he is recovering. And so Cooper and I uh, attended Greg's funeral yesterday and were able to see them. So, you know, wet road, hydroplaning wreck there. And so all of this, you know, going on. So then I decided that uh, we would make the 16-hour trek from Florida back to home on Friday so that we could be here for the funeral on Saturday. Tressa and them flew out uh, Friday morning, so we would leave at the same time. So we said goodbye to Tressa. We said goodbye to Jackson as they head to the airport, and then we turn our vehicles the opposite direction and head for Arkansas. And I could not help but entertain thoughts of what if, <laughs> all the way home, what if, hands on the wheel, what if. And add to that that we drove through two severe thunderstorms in Tennessee on our way back home, and then when we got to uh, just before Searcy, we were coming in from the north, there was another thunderstorm. We drove through some, some what I would call straight-line wind. So the thunderstorms in Tennessee, I literally could not see the road in front of my hood. And this was probably, I don't know how long, it seemed like, you know, 100 miles to me. It was probably no more than, you know, 5 to 7 miles, but that's a long time when you're going 35 miles an hour not knowing what's in front of you. So my anxiety level was pretty well elevated. I was strung out and I wrestled with that for 16 hours, especially knowing what this lesson was already going to be about today. We're in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't there more to life than food and more to the body than clothing? Look at the birds in the sky. They do not sow nor they reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable than they are? And which of you by worrying can add even one hour to his life? Why do you worry about clothing? Think about how the flowers of the field grow. They do not work 
or spin, and yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. And if this is how God clothes the wild grass which is here today and tomorrow is tossed into the fire to heat the oven, won't He clothe you even more, you people of little faith? So then don't worry saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the unconverted pursue these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But above all, Pursue His kingdom and righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. So then do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Today has enough trouble of its own. And when you think about anxiety, anxiety in general, it's, it's this unpleasant feeling of apprehension. Like something's going to happen and I can't control it. You feel restless. Maybe you have physical reactions, could be headache, maybe dizziness, maybe nausea, maybe heart palpitations. There's a physical reactions to this, tightness in your stomach. Virtually every human being can relate to these symptoms because everyone has experienced anxiety at one time or another. Anxiety is a normal human experience. And so in fact, anxiety is good in certain dangerous situations. That's where the fight or, uh, fright or flight uh, Response comes from. So when we are faced with anxiety, you know, you either, you're either going to fight about it or you're going to run away, right? So that's anxiety-driven. That can be a good thing when we're trying to escape danger. And life offers us the experience of a lot of anxiety-provoking first. You have maybe a first date, you know, or maybe you've got, you know, the first time the kids take the keys and leave the driveway on their own. Right? First day of school, maybe. First job. First new boss. Different boss, you know. First day of retirement. First day alone. It's a lot of first. And virtually every human can relate to these symptoms of anxiety. And the discomfort that anxiety brings in all these situations is considered normal and even beneficial. It's part of the human experience. And anxiety about an upcoming task can cause you to work harder. <laughs> or not, (laughs) in preparing for the exam, or the anxiety that you feel when you're walking through a parking lot can cause you to either stop and ask somebody to escort you, or maybe you'll walk a little bit faster, you hurry up and you pay more attention to what's going on around you. That's good anxiety in those situations. Anxiety is a fierce but often irrational pest. can also be. So I think its origins are in the fact that, that... what we don't know. That's where anxiety comes from. I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know how this is going to happen. I can't control this right now. So anxiety springs from that. And so when we're a little afraid, of, when we're little, we're afraid of the dark. Then as we age, that, that fear grows, it changes. That fear stretches to, to cancer or just illness in general or the future or to death. So that fear changes, and to some extent, we worry about these things. We all worry about these things. A little fear tucked in the back of our minds in that someday, what-if scenario. But those who struggle deeply with anxiety find that that someday section has grown too big. It's gotten too big to manage. And so you have unanswerable fears and and questions that are let loose, and they, they grip their hands around our necks in a way that paralyzes us. With fear. So we've got questions about faith, about God, about suffering. And those can plague us 
into this anxious state, an anxious soul, until it's difficult to think about anything else. And so these are the, the embers of doubt, the, the, the sparks of doubt that I think Jesus was trying to, to, to pour water on for these disciples. Don't let these take root. Don't let them start. So we've been talking about the kingdom of God and while anxiety and fear can, can, can find their way beyond the gates of the kingdom, they're not welcomed in the kingdom. They may be there. They're present. But they're not welcomed. In fact, they're an enemy of the kingdom. They're an enemy of the kingdom way of life. And so when Paul was addressing the nature of anxiety and fear that Timothy was struggling with, dealing by himself in a place with, with false teachers and, and those who were opposed to Christ. Paul was having to, to comfort him and calm him down, talk him down. He reminded this young man and he encouraged them to not let your anxiety overcome you. And so in 2 Timothy, the second letter we have that Paul writes to him, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, Paul reminds Timothy, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. And so this anxiety that Jesus and Paul are addressing, this is not the natural stomach knot tension that happens to you when you're scared or excited about something. This is faith unraveling danger of relying on, on the ability of ourselves more than God. I can't control this. I can't fix this. I can't change this. That's where the anxiety is growing from. And this is a great weapon of Satan. So how do we stand up to this? How do we deal with this? Listen to the Apostle Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, in verse 5. He says, In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And God will exalt you in due time if you humble yourselves under His mighty hand by casting all your cares on Him because He cares for you. Be sober and alert. Your enemy, the devil, like a roaring lion, is on the prowl looking for someone to devour. Resist him, strong in your faith, because you know that your brothers and sisters throughout the world are enduring the same kinds of suffering. So he says you're not alone. You're not crazy with these feelings. It's a battle that everyone must face. Everyone is facing this. Some fears we all must face. Some things we all must go through. They may not look exactly the same, but they certainly spark the same emotions. They touch the same place in our hearts and in our souls. In verse 10, he says, And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you. To Him belongs the power forever. Amen. And so when Jesus was speaking, He's addressing the very real and prevalent fear that because of my faith in God, and if I now profess my faith in Jesus, then what I thought were hard times before, what I thought I was struggling with before, is about to receive a steroid injection. It's about to be escalated because your enemy, the devil, is looking for a family that he can tear apart. Your enemy, the devil, is looking for a future that he can ruin. Your enemy, the devil, is looking for a church that he can divide, looking for a nation that he can divide, looking for an addiction 
that he can plant into the mind of a 14-year-old so that he will never live a normal life again. I wonder, have we made the glory of Christianity such the goal? The glory of Christianity that we have inoculated ourselves to just how our Christ was glorified. Jesus Christ was glorified on a cross through suffering. That's how He was glorified. And we're born into a living hope. Peter reminds us here. But we're also born into an eternal struggle. A very real battle. Every day. When we become one with Jesus Christ. And so there's this iconic picture. And the the video is also striking. And so if you've been around long enough at all, you remember this. Where President Bush is reading to an elementary class. And he's sitting there in the middle of the elementary class and and his chief of staff comes in. And his chief of staff leans over and whispers into his ear, a second plane has hit the second tower. America is under attack. One of the most iconic images in, in my lifetime. And Peter is walking up to a church. And he is leaning over and he is speaking to them in a very personal level. And he says, I want you to know you are under attack. You are under attack. It's not just ministers, not just elders, not just Bible class teachers, not just our kids and their social battles. That's not just the only place. The devil is a roaring lion prowling around looking for someone, anyone, to devour. Is it you? Yes, it is. It is you. And it's me. So what's the opposite of anxiety? I was thinking about this. What's the opposite? Is it peace? Is it comfort? I don't know. Maybe either one of those maybe. Is it calm? Is that the opposite of anxiety? Jesus never held back when He was talking to His followers about what they could expect from their commitment to follow Him. He never held back once about what they should expect in walking in obedience to Him. No surprises. Everything out on the table. Anxiety is born from the what if. It's born from the what might happen, the what could happen. That's where anxiety comes from. Jesus removes all of that. He removes all of it. So why was He so forthcoming about His suffering and about the the, the suffering of those who who would follow Him? Why, Why was He so forthcoming about that? When John chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, he says, I have told you these things. Why, Jesus? Why have you put these thoughts in our heads? So that you will not fall away. I've told you all the big, bad darkness that's out there so that you will not be surprised. So that your faith will not be shaken. So that you will not fall away. And then in verse 33, he sums it up. I have told you these things so that in me... You may have peace. In the world, you have trouble. Not you will have. He didn't say you will have. You might have. You could have. He says in the world, you have trouble. You have trouble and you have suffering. But take courage. I have conquered the world. I've beat all of this. Jesus does not want us to be anxious about living this life. He came that we may have life. And have it what? John 10.10 Have it abundantly. Abundant life. And anxiety blinds us to the abundant life in Christ. That was a problem for the disciples. That was a problem for them on this hillside. And they were worried about the Romans. 
They're up here listening to this Jesus. Do we, do we, we believe Him? I mean, it, sound, it all sounds true, but do we follow Him? Do we commit to Him? Because right now things aren't great. we got the, the, the Romans who, who rule our land, and we're just trying to fly under the radar here so that you know, we can just go about life and hopefully you know, they don't pay attention to us. But if we start going around committing ourselves to this Jesus, living by this way of Jesus, telling other people about this way of Jesus, well, what if the Romans found out that we're professing another king besides Caesar? Then what would happen? They're anxious about how am I going to sustain my life? How am I going to sustain my family if my business is shut down because I'm following this Jesus? I'm following this Messiah. The prosperity gospel is false teaching. <laughs> they were understanding that. In this life, you will have trouble. It doesn't matter how much money you put in a collection plate. It doesn't matter how many good ministries you volunteer for. It doesn't matter what your church attendance looks like. In this life, you will have trouble. You will have it. But take heart. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Don't let worry and uncertainty or, or the fear, fear of failure, don't let that, the, or the reality of failure, how about that? Not just the fear, but the reality of failure. Don't let this cloud your view of the grace and the mercy and the love and the provision through Jesus Christ. That, the next news story, the next phone call, the next doctor's appointment, the next bill that shows up, the next morning alarm. You know, we face uncertainty in this life as, as, just as unbelievers do. The same uncertainty. The same things about the human existence. It's a human experience. Because sin was invited into this world and, and through the disobedience in the Garden of Eden. We're all under that curse. And sin that was invited into our lives in the Garden but we've been granted citizenship in eternal kingdom. But here's the deal. Sometimes that same sin that intruded upon the lives of believers, we invite that into the kingdom life with us. Into the heart of every human. Sometimes we act surprised at things that we go through in life and the ways that we struggle. And we pray for God to do great things in our lives. And then, and then when the battle begins, we act like we weren't warned. <laughs> Whoa. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm, I, folks, I've 16 hours I talked to myself about this. There's no mistranslation with Peter's words. The devil is roaring. He's roaring. What does that mean? What does it look, you watch the same TV. What does it look like? He'll let you know he's coming. You see, you see how a lion attacks, right? Lurches down, sneaks through the grass, sneaks up, and then at the last minute, pounces. Peter doesn't say that. Satan doesn't do that. He roars. Hey, Christian! How's he let you know he's coming? There's no miraculous sign. There's no prophetic vision that we're waiting for. How will Satan let us know that he's coming? Well, did you wake up this morning? Then He is coming. He is coming. And how does Peter instruct us to handle this attack by Satan? Do we run? Because anxiety sometimes makes me want to run away. Makes me want to turn and run, withdraw. What does Peter say here? First Peter 5, 6. And God will exalt you in due time if 
if you humble yourselves under His mighty hand by casting all your cares on Him because He cares for you. The mighty hand of God. What a picture. What a picture. The mighty hand of God. We know God doesn't have physical hands unless He wants them. But this, this, this picture of the hand of God, it's that same hand that Peter wants them and us to remember. That same hand has been actively fulfilling the, God's purpose over human history. Actively reigning over life. And God's hand has a plan. And that plan is even better than my own plan that I think I have sometimes. And so Peter has some experience with the hand of God. He walked with the Son of God. He walked hand in hand with Christ. That same hand that, that, that reached down and split the sea open so that His people could walk across on dry land. That same hand that brought water out of a rock in the desert for those people. The hand of God represents the plan of God. And the plan of God is unveiled by the provision of God. And so what can the hand of God do for my anxiety? Well, let's think about Peter. Peter saw the hand of God take a kid's lunchable... <laughs> And convert that into a buffet that fed 5,000 people, right? That's what Peter saw with the hand of God. So Peter knew that, that when you are in a position of want, when you are in a position of needing, you're never at a disadvantage due to your own inability to create resources for yourself. Whatever you put into the hand of God, He will multiply for His glory. And I'm not limiting God to things here. I'm not talking about tangible things. I'm talking about us, our lives. When we put our lives into the hand of God, He will multiply our life for His glory. And some of you have been through trials, but somehow hope kept coming, right? You didn't know how you would make it to, to tomorrow, the next day, but somehow strength kept coming. Joy kept coming. Tomorrow kept coming in spite of your past. And so the hand of provision and the hand of protection and who better to help me see this, how God's hand will protect me than the one who tried to walk on water? Peter did. Matthew chapter 14. Remember, Peter steps out of the boat and making his way towards Jesus and walking towards Jesus on the water. And about the time he gets to Jesus, right on the verge, he begins to sink. And isn't that the walk of faith? Right on the verge. He began to sink. Look at this, Matthew 14 and verse 30. But when he saw the strong wind, he became afraid. And starting to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. So he's sinking, starting to sink, but he's not sunk. He's sinking, but he ain't sunk. The lion is prowling, but he has not devoured. And immediately, verse 31, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I cannot imagine that Jesus was condescending in this tone. And remember here, Jesus is not walking towards Peter at this point. Peter is walking towards Jesus. And when Jesus sees Peter sinking and hears him crying out, he reaches out his hand. And Peter is close enough for Jesus to reach. He's close enough for Jesus to touch, to grab, to embrace. And the way anxiety overcomes us is that when we are sinking, we don't stay close enough for God to get us in His grip. 
Anxiety sends us into defense mode where we withdraw, not only from those around us, those who would encourage us, those who would support us, those who would share in our struggles, but we also tend to withdraw from the very one who has overcome the very thing that's causing our anxiety. So pride can help us hide our anxiety because for sure we don't want anyone else to know. Good Christian struggles with the uncertainty of life, right? James writes about this. James chapter 4 and verse 6. It says, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So submit to God, but resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and make your hearts pure, you double-minded. Grieve and mourn and weep. Turn your laughter into mourning and your joy into despair. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. And as you read this, it's as if James and Peter had heard the same thing, huh? It's as if James and Peter heard the same thing from the same teacher, right? Imagine that. It's not about how well you can walk on water. What matters is how close you are to His hand. It's not about your situation. It's about your surrender. Humble yourselves under His mighty hand. And that's what those disciples on that mountainside, that's what they were going to come to learn from following Jesus. And so some would embrace it, and some would reject it. Some would run away from it. So the measure of God's love, the receipt of His Grace and His mercy. None of that depends on our accomplishments. None of that depends on our attainments, our achievements. None of that depends on our ability to withstand or our inability to abstain. Jesus' words to us are that if we stake our hopes on the decaying world in which we live, then our hopes will decay right along with it. And our faith will give way to worry and about how long will it last? How much longer? How much will we lose? How little am I going to accomplish? So therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't there more to life than food and more to the body than clothing? Look at the birds in the sky. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than they are? And which of you, by worrying, can add even one hour to his life? Why do you worry about clothing? Think about how the flowers of the field grow. They do not work or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his glory was clothed like one of these. And if this is how God clothes the wild grass, which is here today and tomorrow, is tossed into the fire to heat the oven, then won't He clothe you even more, you people of little faith? So then don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? What will we wear? How am I going to get by? What's going to happen to them? What about the choices my children are making? What about that choice I I made several years ago? What about, I don't know how am I going to pay that bill next month? What about if the test results come back, this or that? For the unconverted pursue these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But above all, pursue His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So then do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Today has enough trouble of its own. See, what worry does, worry puts the focus 
on me. Worry puts my focus solely and squarely on me. And so that when I cannot figure out the answer or how to fix it, I worry. When I can't change this, then I worry. But when I humble myself under the mighty hand of God, He will lift me up. And it's not by my strength, because much of the time, i got none. i got none. It's by His own strength. And there is no shame in anxiety. There is no shame in anxiety. That is a human condition in which we struggle, even as citizens of God's kingdom. And it's a struggle for which Christ sent the Comforter. Not by my strength. It's His strength. Christ sent the Comforter, the Spirit of God, to bear with us until that glorious day. That glorious day when all of our cares, all of our burdens, all of our fears, all of our failures will finally be put in their place. And then we are ultimately lifted up, finally lifted up, to be put in our place in the eternal kingdom of God. And so when anxiety would lead, we must begin by yielding to God in prayer. When anxiety attacks and drops us to our knees, that's where we should be anyway. Yielding to God in prayer. Humility begins on our knees. Humility is surrendering to Almighty God. And then we draw near. We draw near to gain and be willing to lend support to one another. To other brothers and sisters in Christ. Waging the same war. The same war against the flesh that we're waging. So we bear one another's burdens. We lend the emotional, the, the, the spiritual, and when able, we lend the, the, the physical, maybe even the, the monetary support that someone needs during times that create anxiety in the lives of our kingdom family. Like when a house catches on fire. Sometimes the best place from which to build a foundation of faith is a rock bottom. When you go in to build a building, when you go in to build a house, when you go in to build a structure, you start digging down to the solid foundation and you build up from there. Maybe that's where we need to start. Sometimes that's the best place to lead from, from rock bottom. As others are looking to how they should live their lives. Sometimes the best place to be a better husband, a better wife, a better parent, a better friend is the place of, Lord, save me. Not, Lord, call me. What else can I do? What else can I prove? But, Lord, save me. Feeling the attack of Satan, sometimes we act like it's an ambush. But it is not. It is normal. It is expected. And even as Peter failed three times, denying that he ever knew Jesus, even as Peter failed, Jesus did not. And even when I fail, Jesus will not. And even when you fail, Jesus will not. He is greater than your anxiety. He is more powerful than your fears. And He calls each one of us to come close close enough to take His hand and be lifted up. This morning, maybe you need to be lifted up by your Savior. We will lift you up in prayer and encouragement this morning. Maybe you are ready to become a child of God. You've been wrestling with this anxiety about what if, how long, what if not. Put those fears to rest this morning. By confessing Jesus Christ as the Son of God, making Him your Lord and Savior, and submitting your life to His, 
repenting of your sins, being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, being free from the anxiety of what if, and receiving the Comforter, the Spirit of God, to walk with you through this life as we keep our eyes set on God's kingdom yet to come. If we can help in any way this morning as we stand and sing this good song, will you come? My